I heard somebody singing over here. A song, a song. <laughs> well, you're in luck. There's going to be plenty of uh, Christmas singing on Christmas Eve. Uh, Eric Case uh, and his team of excellent musicians are are putting together just an amazing musical event on Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock uh, or 6.30. So invite some friends and invite yourself and family. It's going to be an amazing time. On the subject of uh, Eric Case, he is not here today because he graduated from seminary this weekend. So... <laughs> So, uh, quite an achievement. Uh, it just he's been working on it for many years, and with with family, you know, with family responsibilities and and church responsibilities, and trying to find the time just to get his master's degree, get his uh, seminary degree, and he has achieved it. If you're friends with him on Facebook, you saw him in his funny hat and his robes and all that great stuff. So, very very exciting. Um, so next week, I'm sure he'll mention it, that, that uh, while he's teaching, he's teaching next week. And I don't know about you, but I am expecting from a seminary grad an amazing message. So, uh, but be sure to congratulate him next, next week. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. He's worked really hard at it. So very cool that one of our pastors uh, in our community had... Uh, has been able to achieve that. So we've been going through this series, Not So Silent Night, where we're listening to the, the sounds of, of Jesus's life um, through Mary's ears in a, in, in a way. And as we've been saying and, and pointing out that Mary has a really unique perspective on Jesus's life. Not only was she his mother, but she is the only human being, and I think this is really profound, she's the only human being that was there from the point of his birth all the way to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and ascension. No other human being has the, the, the scope and had a front row seat uh, like Mary. So it's really interesting kind of looking at Jesus' life as we're looking through it uh, backwards. We started with his ascension, then uh, his crucifixion, and then today we're going to be looking at the only story in Jesus's, uh, in the Bible about Jesus' adolescence all the way up to his birth on Christmas Eve. So this week is, is kind of interesting, and again... You know, we don't have really any information about Jesus's upbringing. We have his birth account and then when he started his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old, except this one account in Luke. And honestly, it's kind of a terrifying story. And that's why uh, I've titled this this week uh, and really through the ears of, of Mary that uh her heart pounding in her ears. I don't know if you've ever been so terrified or had such a terrifying moment that when things kind of quieted down that you paused for a second and you heard that boom, boom, boom in your ears. Yes. Wendy has, or somebody else, all of us probably have. Uh, if you haven't, go do something, you know, scary, you know. Uh, but, you know, you don't really notice it when you're going through it, but when everything's kind of quieted down that you hear that boom, 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 it's not how you know you've gone through a traumatic experience. And, uh, 
you know, you think about that, there's lots of scary things in life. But for me, one of the most scary things as a, as a parent is losing one of my children. Yeah. And uh, I actually had that experience um, several years ago when my children were, were much younger. In fact, I was on the way to E3 on Halloween for a costume party. And uh, we were uh, headed this way, and I had to stop at Walmart to complete my, my uh, costume as Mr. Clean. So... <laughs> I look like him, yeah, so I don't really have to do that much with Mr. Clean. I just got to put on a white T-shirt and uh, the, gold, the gold hoop and a little bit of white. So I had, the, I had some cotton balls that I, I think I taped or, or something or super glued onto my eyebrows. And, and, but I, and I had the white T-shirt, but I was missing the, the gold little hoop. For my, for my ear, so we were going to stop by Walmart and, and pick one up. Fortunately or unfortunately, as, as it would be, when I was a kid, uh, I actually pierced my ear in the, in the back of a, a school bus with a lighter and a, uh, sa- a, a, a safety pin. So I burnt right through it, like it was like red hot, you know, and, and everything. So my ear is never closed up, so... At any time, I can be Mr. Clean. That's one of the benefits of it. So one of the not-so-benefits of it was when my mom asked me, Mark, I heard that you pissed your ear. And I'm like, how'd you hear this? How do mothers hear these things? So, so we're going to, we stopped by Walmart, have my two little kids in, in, in tow. We went into the, you know, the the jewelry section, you know, I'm like, how much for those earrings? They're like 10 bucks. I'm like, good, I'll take one. Here's $5, right? And, and, you know, went to go check out and I have both the, you know, both my kids, Madison and Boo are, are there and I check out and I turn to go and, and I see Madison. And I look and Boo is gone. Absolutely missing. I'm sitting there in my white t-shirt and my fuzzy eyebrows and everything. I'm like, no problem. I'm sure he's just like hooked around to the other side of the register. He's probably munching on some, you know, Reese's Pieces or something. No big deal. So, you know, I said, Madison, you know, let's find your brother. Not a big deal. And he wasn't there. And then we start extending our perimeter a little bit, you know, as we're searching. And, and any parent who's gone through this understands that your anxiety level is starting to go up and up and up and up, right? Yeah. Parents, yeah. So starting to freak out. And I start even more so, I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is Halloween and all these, you know, freaky people in costumes, me included, <laughs> are out there so somebody could nab this kid, my kid, and, and is like, uh, you, know, who, you know, can you describe the person, you know, oh, a Batman or something, right? You know, so I'm, I'm getting all of this anxiety and we're looking around and going around. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm in Walmart. I've heard that they have a good system for locating kids because kids get lost all the time. So I go up to the, to the cash uh, register person uh, and I said, I need your help. I said, I've lost my child. I need you to do your code, whatever. And she just looked at me, shrugged her shoulders and said, there's nothing I can do. And then, 
and, uh, and went back to helping the person that, that she was helping. Now, this is probably not one of my best moments at, at, at this point. Like, I wasn't going to tell her about Jesus, love, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I, I was not Mr. Clean. I was becoming Mr. Mean. And, and I, was, I was, you know, my anxiety was pegged. I was, I, was, I was terrified. I'm like, you need to call your manager. And she's like, I'm helping this customer. And I'm like, so, like, I grab Madison, and we start going around, and finally, I, like, go over to the customer service, and I'm, like, I'm, like, frantic, wild-eyed, you know, my tight white shirt, my, you know, my, my fuzzy eyebrows and everything, and I'm, I'm, you know, just laying into this poor manager, and I realize what I must look like, you know, because he's kind of, like, looking at me and everything, so I, like, pause, and I'm, like, pull my eyebrows off. And, and I said, look, time, I need your help. And I had like, you know, I was lucid for just the, you know, a couple of seconds just to communicate with him. And he, you know, he got on the horn and he called whatever code, missing kid and everything. And then I heard my name, Mark. And I looked over my friend, Megan Marks, uh, had boo in tow. And she's all like, you looking for him? And I'm like, Phew. and then if you're a parent and you've ever lost, lost a kid, <laughs> You know that this moment, it's, it, it's like a simultaneous moment in your brain where you have all of this relief, but all these murderous thoughts <laughs> at the same time, right? It's just like, I, so glad you're okay. I'm going to kill you now, you know? And, and I just, I, that, that moment, that just, you know, the, the, the franticness and the, and the terror and just, and all of that, you know, I just remember at the end of that, you know, just calming down and getting back into the car and you just kind of shut your eyes and hearing that boom, 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 you know, that just hearing the blood or your heart just pounding in your ears. And I think today as we're looking at this story that there's a lot of similarities to that, that, that we can connect our experience with, with Mary, the mother of Jesus' experience, and what it must have been like. So if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 41. And again, this is the only like little boy Jesus story that we have. So it starts out, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So right off, we kind of get an idea of what Jesus' upbringing must have been like. There's three major uh, Jewish holidays that devout Jews before the, uh, um, captivity and, and, and uh, disbursement that, that they would attend Jerusalem three times a year for these three major festivals. And one of those was Passover, which uh, commemorated uh, the Exodus when Jesus freed, or Jesus, God freed them from Egypt and slavery and captivity in Egypt. So they would go to the Passover uh, festival in Jerusalem and they would celebrate Passover, but then there was a week-long celebration, and all the greatest teachers would come, and it was just, you know, all these people, and it was this major event. And Jesus' family, obviously, in his upbringing, that, that they were devout 
uh, devout Jews, that they, they followed Judaism, they followed and went to, as usual, this was not something, you know, unusual for his family to go to. And the other thing that, that's important to notice is when he was 12 years old. Now, at 13, uh, Jewish boys have a bar mitzvah. You know what bar mitzvah means? Man of the law. That's where you are expected to go from being a child now that you are to adhere to the law, that you are meant to know your Torah, that you're meant to know the 613 laws of Moses, that you're meant to know these things and follow these things and put these childish things away and start being a man of the law. So this is interesting that, that we're kind of in this transitional time of Jesus's life where he's going from child to adult. And they're at the festival that, that they're there. And then verse 43, it says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when, they didn't, when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now, this may seem bizarre to you in, in our time, in our culture. You know, uh, like the idea that, you know, one of your, you know, child, especially a 12-year-old child, like you not knowing where they are all day and you're like traveling, maybe like you think, man, Mary and Joseph, you are not winning parent of the year this year, right? But I, I think if this is 2,000 years ago, but not, you don't even have to go back 2,000 years. For those of you, I mean, I'm mid-40s. And uh, when, I, when I was a kid, you know, 35 years ago, that... It was very normal for, for me to go out, me and my friends, uh, that we would go out in the morning. And, and basically the rule was to, to be home by the time the streetlights came back on, right? Like, I mean, that was just normal. Like, I mean, I would never allow a child to do that today. But that was just, you know, 30, 35 years ago that that was just very normal. You know, as kids, we'd go out and do things. And, and 2,000 years ago, you know, you got to imagine that, you know, probably they were traveling from a lot of people in their village and they were with friends and they were with family and, and just kind of was just one of, you know, all the kids running together and doing stuff together that they just probably figured, hey, you know what? Jesus is all right, you know, that we've done this every year, you know, as long as he's been alive, that, you know, we go to other times during the year, and this is just kind of what our family does, and it's always worked itself out, and it's been okay. The other thing is that at 12, he's in this transitional time in his life. See, in these caravans, what would happen was the women and the children would be at the front of the caravan, and the men would be at the back. So you can imagine that Joseph probably for the previous 12 years, that Jesus was with Mary up with the rest of the, uh, the mothers and, and the children. And, but maybe Mary's like, you know, Jesus is 12 now and he's gonna have his bar mitzvah and he's gonna be a man of the law and everything. Maybe he's back there with Joseph. And so, you know, it's a very t different time and a different culture, but, uh, but the result is the same that they had traveled all day, about 20 to 25 miles, 
and they're like, okay, you know, it's time for matzo balls or whatever, you know, gefilte fish, you know, where's Jesus? We're going to have, we're going to have dinner. And we don't know where Jesus is. Now, anxiety starting to go up, right? Looking all around. Okay, can't find them. Verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay, this just made it even more complex, right? So you got to think, all right, they just traveled all day, 20 to 25 miles, and now they got to head back. So you got a whole day, okay, there's no really anxiety in that day, just like whatever. The next day traveling back, the, the anxiety that they must have had, you know, trying to get back to Jerusalem to find their little boy. Number two, it was Mary and Joseph traveling, but it wasn't only Mary and Joseph traveling. They were, probably had uh, Jesus' uh, half-brothers and sisters in tow, tow, four of them. So you imagine trying to move quickly with, with four little kids to go and find your, you know, the oldest one who you have no idea where, where there are. And, you know, and, you know, it's hard enough to pack them all up into a minivan, right? And get from here to, you know, Disney World or something like that. You know, walking, you know, trying to move the children. My feet hurt. When are we going to stop? You know, all of this kind of stuff. Are we there yet? You know, and trying to move it, you know, back. So you have all that anxiety of that whole day of trying to parent, but also, you know, having no idea, you know, where is Jesus? You know, think about the things that you would be thinking about as, as a parent. What would you be thinking about? I just lost God's son. So what is he eating, right? He's not done any miracles yet here. No water in the wine or anything like that. So what, what is he eating? Where is he staying? What was that? Who is he with? Is he alive? All of these kind of, these different things that you, there's no way that there's any way to answer these questions, but you know that they have it and that anxiety level going up. And then the third day, they finally get back to Jerusalem and they're looking for him everywhere and then finally find him in the temple. And, and you can just imagine that they, you know, let's set up this, this scenario. They walk into the temple, you know, they've probably checked all of these different places. They've checked the arcade, they've checked the fishing pond, you know, they've checked, you know, all of these kinds of different places. And they finally go to church and, and, and check there. And then they get there and there's Jesus talking with the religious rulers or the religious teachers and, and all of this. Now, think about all the emotion that, that's going on. Number one, relief, right? Number two, anger. Number three, pride. Because 
It says, everyone was amazed at his understanding and his answer. So obviously the, the religious teachers are all like, wow, we just spent, you know, all these days with Jesus and he is a really smart kid. You know, wow, he, you know, he has all these really, these unusual insights and, and all of these kinds of things. So you can imagine just the emotional just kind of turmoil that, that is going on. And it says in verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. His parents didn't know what to think. You know, this really Jesus probably had a very normal childhood. I mean, besides the miraculous birth and the angels and everything, after that, things were, you know, probably pretty, pretty normal for, for a kid. You know, he was doing the things that everybody else did and 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 things like that. And this is like this. This, this crazy, crazy moment, and they didn't know what to think. And then Mary says, son, his mother said to him. I would think at this point, you know, like there's different ways that parents say things when their kids are in trouble. Like my friends, the Thompsons, like when, when, when uh, Bradley Thompson does something wrong, Jamie will say, son, son. You know, I can't really do it the way he does it, but he, Bradley knows. There's like that, that inflection. It was funny. He was like, son, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? And he said, because I wanted to. Good answer. So, so I wanted to. But there's other, you know, like my parents used to use my middle name. Yeah, it's like Mark Randell McNeese. And uh, I knew if, 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 they pulled out the Randell that, that I was in trouble. Now, I don't know if Jesus had a, a middle name, Jesus. I, yeah, so somebody used to say Jesus H. Christ, but I don't know what the H stands for. No, I have no idea what the H stood for. If you know, you can tell me afterwards. I just thought about that. I don't know. But uh, so obviously, though, you know, they're upset, right? And, and Mary goes, son. Why have you done this to us? This is very interesting. What does that question infer? Personal offense, right? Why have you done this to us? What were you thinking? Didn't you know how this was going to hurt your father, uh, earthly father, and me, your mother? Didn't we raise you right? Oy vey! right? You know, this is, this is like, you know, Mary is feeling personally hurt. So she's gone through anxiety and terror and pride into, into personal hurt at this situation. And then she says, your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I don't think I've ever really picked up on that word frantic before. When you think about frantic, I mean, that's the opposite of calm, right? I mean, like, uh, just frantic is, is you have lost your, your marbles. You are, are just trying to, you're, you're just grasping at straws that, that all reason has gone away. You are in ultimate terror. And she's saying, why have you done this, Jesus? Son, why have you done this to us? We have been frantic looking for you. And they don't even know what to think about this. Now, 
at this point, what kind of answer? If you, if you are Jesus' parents, what are you hoping to hear? I'm sorry, dear mother who birthed me and who's raised me and who's looked after me and kept me safe, you know, how could I, you know, all this kind of stuff. This is the kind of, this is what we want to hear. This is, I'm sure, what Mary and Joseph want to hear. But that's not what Jesus says. Verse 49, but why did you need to search? What? Because we were 25 miles away. We were all going as a family, Jesus. <laughs> we, you know, and, you know, we just thought maybe you would come with us back home. You didn't tell any of us. Maybe that's why we searched you for you. I don't know. I mean, just crazy thought just went by my honey. He's like, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But verse 50, but they didn't understand what he meant. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't know what he meant. I, again, he's probably had a relatively normal childhood that this was a normal kind of thing that they did as a family. And there's a major transition happening here. And I think we all know in life that transitions are hard. Transitions are hard with people and jobs and friends and family and positions and all of these kinds of things. And a lot of times it causes confusion. I don't understand why you're acting this way. I don't understand, you know, what you're saying to me right now. I don't understand how you're treating me. How could you do this to us? These are all questions or statements that revolve around transition. And a lot of times transition causes confusion and anger and hurt. And then it's interesting, verse 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Now, there's a few things that, that we can uh, kind of infer from this, this sentence. Now, number one, he didn't argue with them, didn't say, I'm staying here, I'm running away from home. No, he returned home to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But I think a lot of times we, we miss what that actually means. How old is he? Twelve. When did he start his ministry? Eighteen years later, when he was 30 years old. So for the next 18 years that he was in Nazareth. Now, the other thing is, this is the last time we ever hear of Joseph in the Bible. We don't know if he died. We don't know what happened to Joseph. But what, this is what we do know. Jesus is the oldest of five children. 
He's the oldest male of five children. And that culture that, that you know what? There was expectations of him that there was things that he had, he had to do for his family. He had to learn the trade of being a carpenter. When his father died, that he cared for his mother. He cared for his brothers and, and his sisters. That, that Jesus was fulfilling his role at that time. That he was being obedient and caring for his family. The other thing that's interesting is, says, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. This is something that, that she did once before when Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, when the shepherds were telling the story and the angels were telling, you know, singing of Jesus' birth and everything, and it says in verse 19 that Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought of them often. And it's, you know, these, these really impactful moments of, in Mary's life as the mother of Jesus that she stops and says, you know what? I'm going to put this in my heart. That I can tell that with, the, with the beat, the, the, my heart beating in my ears that this is something that's important, that there is something major going on. So he goes home and he's obedient and, and he, he's an obedient son and he takes care of his family, he takes care of his mother for the next 18 years. In verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I think this is such an important verse. Because I think so many times we think about Jesus and Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die for our sins. And that was an important thing that Jesus did. That was ultimately the reason that he came was to be the sacrifice for us, to pay the price for us so we can uh, be extended grace, so we can have the opportunity to be in relationship, right relationship with God and people. But, and he had this important mission, but he also had to respect the process and his life had great depth and richness and meaning. And he didn't just have a task, but he had relationships. Look at this. Jesus grew in wisdom. What is wisdom? Applied knowledge. So he grew in knowledge and how to implement that knowledge. He also grew in stature, you know, just as his stature may be in his community in his relationships with his community, but also probably as, as, as a boy, you know, going from an awkward, you know, 12-year-old through, you know, maybe 15-year-old into a man. And then also grew in favor with God. So learning this Torah, learning even more about how to uh, uh, be a godly man in the sense of, of how to inspire others. And then finally, also with all the people. And in this verse here, in verse 52, we really encompass kind of the, the silent years of Jesus in those 18 years as he's growing up that we may not know the details, but we know the type of life that he must have been living. And even though he knew ultimately what he was coming to do, he was, he was honoring the process to get there. 
And I think that so often that it's really difficult for us, and at least let me say it, it's really difficult for me, that a lot of times I get very mission focused. It's like, want to do this, got to get this done, get this done, and, and lose the people part. Sometimes I, I go way to the other side and lose mission and am all about just the relationship. And here we're seeing our Savior and the leader of our life, Jesus, is doing both. That understanding ultimately he's going to be starting his ministry at 30, but also his, he is in preparation, that he's honoring that process that, you know, it wasn't time for him to start his earthly ministry when he was a baby. It wasn't time for him to start it when he was 12. It wasn't time for him to start when he was 25. It wasn't until he was 30 that he went out and did his first miracles and called his first disciples. I think, to me, this story transcends just parenting and obedience. And I think the story is about that, but I think it's about so much more. I think it instructs us on a much larger plane. I think it, it gives us a glimpse of what life is meant to look like when we live a life of mission, but we also live a life of community and relationship. It's also a story of transition. Mary had a hard time, especially in this instance, letting go of her child to become a man, to become a rabbi, and then ultimately become a savior, become her savior. And I'm sure that she was fearful at times that she, you know, was given this monumental task of taking care of the Messiah. And I'm sure, you know, that there was times like this where she was frantic and, and doubting that she was up to it. And I think probably the hardest thing was for her was knowing when to let go. And I think truly for us, it's very hard for us to know when to let go. When is it the right time when we stop investing in people and let them start to go out and do? When is it time to stop investing in a project and let it go? When is it time to leave a position that we've grown into something and to let it go? that this is something that every single one of us deal with, is how to navigate transitions. Because it is really sweet to see somebody fly. But in order to let them fly, they have to get out of the nest. It's hard to see our children grow into adults. It's hard to think, you know, uh, like when the first time I saw my daughter drive by herself, you know, out, out, of, the, out of the driveway, you know, I was, I was listening for the ambulance, you know, I was waiting for the call, you know, it was terrifying to let my child go and drive on her own, you know, uh, you know, I think about like I've, you know, obviously as a pastor, I've done a lot of weddings, I've gone to a lot of weddings, and 
I always, there's a moment where I see the dad who's going to walk the daughter down the aisle. And I always think, man, that is the longest walk any man will ever take. To go and walk down to that transitional moment. You know, who, who gives this woman to this man? I've said it. I always expecting a fight. I'll tell you what, there's going to be a fight at Madison's wedding. I'll, I'll say, well, I'll fight you for it. I'm Mr. Clean. I may look old and crusty, but I'm mean. I fight dirty. You hurt my daughter, I will hunt you down. So if you want her, just know you may die. <laughs> right? Obviously, I'm still transitioning here, okay? Fortunately, we're not there yet. You know, also students, you know, as they transition into teachers or, or, or doers. You know, I, I just, uh, you know, Desmond, who comes to the 9 a.m., who's the principal of NIMS. And, and I, I got to speak at their graduation, and he was telling me, Oh, this kid, I'm so excited for them as they, as they go on. We had some issues, and I was really worried, but they worked through it, and we worked through it together. And, but it's, it's really hard for me to see them go to their next stage because, you know, all of these, you know, these, these feelings. You know, it's really exciting as people come into E3 and, and get into growth groups or take an equip class and, and then to see them teach their first equip class and just that transition where it's really exciting to see student go to teacher or student go to doer, but it's also, it's a difficult transition to navigate. Or when, you know, you've hired somebody and it's time for them to move on to another company or to uh, get promoted to being, you know, an executive or a manager or something like that. You know, these difficult transitions. Or one that's really close to me is when your, your, your vision or your inspiration uh, manifests into an institution. Like just, just going from something that you've prayed about or you've thought about or uh, you've discussed and it's gone from idea into reality. And then even going on to one more transition, you know, that when, when that institution, uh, you transition out of that institution one way or another. Like it is my prayer that, that E3 thrives long beyond me. That, you know, someday E3 will have its 100th anniversary. And I won't be there. One way or another, I won't be there. You know, I'll be either eating really soft, you know, applesauce. <laughs> or I assumed room temperature long ago. I mean, it's just a reality, you know. Or you think about, you know, red eye and, and uh, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, and just what it does in the world and what it's hopefully going to do. And, and someday, you know, that, that you know, uh, one way or the other, you know, that, that I'm going to transition out of that. And these are all difficult things that we go through in life, that life is about transition and how we navigate those transitions really, uh, uh, impact the success of the next part of, of that institution or person's 
life. And it's very, very difficult to know when is it time to step back and what time is it time to let go. Because the reality is that Mary didn't have a manual on how to raise the Messiah. There was no, you know, oh, okay, you know, Mary, you know, here's your baby boy, he's going to be the Messiah, and here's a little book, and, you know, if you turn to chapter 12, you'll see that when he's 12 years old, you're going to travel, and he's going to stay in Jerusalem, but don't worry, just go to the temple, because he's going to be there, and it's always, she didn't have any of that. She had to navigate it blindly, just like you and I have to navigate it blindly. And we do it with fear and trembling and prayer and guidance and in community. We do that as we follow Jesus. We do it as we lead our families. We do it in our friendships. We do it in our employment. And ultimately, the time comes where in these transitions that you're probably not going to get them 100% right. Mary didn't get it. 100% right. But what she did get right was understanding as these difficult times and these transitions was the more that she trusted Jesus, that the better it was going to be. And I think that lesson is the same to us today. Is the more that we can trust Jesus that the better we're going to navigate through the transitions in this life. You guys pray with me.